unbind, as in binding, only this time it is unbinding. Giving that unbinds. Giving that loses. It makes things lose. Okay? Giving that unbinds. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being interpreted or translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Now jump with me to verse 23. Same chapter 7 of Hebrews, now verse 23. Also there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because it continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, this is a very, very critical passage of scripture. If you recall in Hebrews chapter 5, Paul who we believe to be the author of Hebrews. There are many different opinions on that, so uh, just so you know that. But he was saying to the Hebrew believers, he said, listen, I have so many things to say to you. He said, but you guys are dull of hearing. You're not mature enough to receive it. He wanted to talk to them about Melchizedek, but he backed up for a minute because he didn't think they were ready. But here in chapter 7, he dives right into it. This man, Melchizedek, is one of the most mysterious figures in the entire scriptures. Now, I don't have time to go back and say everything I said on Wednesday. But very quickly, let me just give you some points about who he is. And then we're going to get into today's message. Number one, we are told that Abraham paid tithes to him. Number two, we are told that he, Mechizedek, blessed Abraham. Number three, we know that it's a type of a priest who lives forever. Number four, in Hebrews chapter seven, we are told that Levi, yet unborn, paid him tithes in the person of Abraham. Number five, we are told that the permanence of his priesthood in Christ implied the abrogation of the Levitical system. Number six, he was made a priest not without an oath. Number seven, and this is where I want to start this morning, his priesthood can neither be transmitted nor interrupted by death. Thus, this man, because he continueth forever, 
has an unchangeable priesthood. Ma, 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 ma. Because it continues forever. It has an unchangeable priesthood. Now, in that chapter 7, we are told how Abraham encountered Melchizedek. We are told that it's without father, without mother, without genealogy, and that he was made like unto the Son of God, and that his priesthood remains continually. I, I, I explained this in details on Wednesday night, and I don't want to get into it again this morning because I need to get into the material that I believe God wants us to have. Suffice it to say that in the least, Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. In the least. Why do you say that, Pastor? It's without father, without mother, without genealogy. The Bible says very clearly concerning Jesus Christ that he is of the Holy Spirit. This thing, the Bible says to Mary, that is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. So clearly, the Bible is telling us that Jesus, even though he came through a human vessel, Really, the truth is, he had no earthly father, no earthly mother. And when you understand the fact that he existed in the spirit and came, he just came through a, a human vessel, you can really say he has no genealogy. Okay, let me break it down simpler. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave what? His only begotten son. Is it God's begotten son or Mary's son? It can be both. It can be both. So in a sense, you can see this mysterious figure Melchizedek in the least minimal to be a type of Christ. His priesthood continues forever. It's not transferable because the other priests were replaced by reason of death. But personally, not, I do not think it's just a type of Christ. I really think Melchizedek of Genesis 14 is a Christophany. Meaning, is Jesus Christ appearing at that time. Now, whichever way you fall or you take it, that's, that's fine because it doesn't really, it, it doesn't matter. If you read Hebrews chapter 7, it's too, it's too clear the, interche- the way God interchanges Melchizedek and Jesus. On and on and on. And we are told that Jesus Christ today has a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. But this is the point I want to make as I dive into this message. I want you to know right off the bat, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 that therefore he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to him come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the utmost. All of those that come to God through him. Why? Because he lives to make intercession for them. Now, Ephesians tells us that Jesus Christ, actually Ephesians 1.20 and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, tells us that Jesus, after having made a sacrifice once and for all, is sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Do you all agree with that? Yes, sir. I'm opening up this message with this because I want your hearts to be filled with faith this morning. 
Because if your heart is not filled with faith, you will not be able to understand, appropriate, and receive and move in the message that God is bringing to us this morning. It's, the Bible is clear that he sits at the right hand of the throne. But then it goes on to say that he lives to make intercession. What is the common posture for intercession? Is he sitting or standing? Talk back to me. Standing. Standing. But the Bible is clear that Jesus is not standing. If you were in a courtroom and your lawyer was standing in your defense and was sitting down in your defense, you'd be very nervous. When it's time for your lawyer to get before the court and, and argue your case, if he's just sitting down and just wringing his fingers, you'd be extremely nervous that that lawyer is not passionately arguing in your behalf. But with Jesus, we are told that he's sitting, and yet, the Bible tells us he lives forever to make intercession for us. What I want you to realize this morning, Jesus' intercession in your behalf and my behalf is not done verbally. That's why he can sit. <laughs> in John 20, verse 27, the Bible said Jesus came into the room and showed his finger or his hands to Thomas, who was doubting. I said, Thomas, reach into my hands, touch it. Yes. Feel it. Yes. Look at my hands, look at my sides. Look at the pierced wounds of my hands. Yes. You see, in heaven, every sickness will be healed. There'll be a new day, new heavens, new earth. Everything in heaven will have been renewed. Except for the wounds that Jesus bore for us. Because post-resurrection, he was able to show his disciples the wounds on his hands. They were not healed. What am I saying? I'm saying to you this moment that God in heaven with Jesus on the throne merely sits and whatever is happening with us, all the father has to do is look at the wounds on his son. Amen. The wounds on his sons are speaking intercession in our behalf. The wounds on him are the proof positive that what Jesus did on the earth, that the price he paid on earth was a final once and for all price. Amen. He does not need to argue. He does not need to debate. When God sees his hands and the wounds on his head, it's proof positive. It has been done. It's settled. It's paid for completely. Amen. If you don't believe that, read the book of Revelation chapter 5. Where the Bible talks about how clearly in the midst of the throne, there was a lamb slain. So even in heaven, heaven has proof positive. That Jesus not only came, but paid the price. So that the word of God can be fulfilled. That he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the price for our peace was upon him. And that by his stripes we're healed. Because every time the host of heaven looks at him, they see proof positive that everything that Jesus did was for real. And it was done, it was completed. Now, that's just the introduction to this message. Back to Hebrews chapter 7. Back to that verse 1. 
For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. In order for you and I to really appreciate what happened here, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 14. Let's just go there for a minute. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Let's begin from verse 18. And I'm speaking on giving that unbinds. Genesis 14, 18. This is the first mention of Melchizedek in all the scriptures. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, talking of Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. This is the setup. The very first time Melchizedek is mentioned in the scriptures, it is in relation to him meeting Abraham after a battle or after a war. Please don't miss what God is saying to us here. Abraham just went to rescue Lot, his nephew. On his way back from that slaughter or from that battle, two different and contrasting persons met him on the way. The first one is Melchizedek, whom we read about in Hebrews chapter 7, without father, without mother, without genealogy, made like unto the Son of God, lives continually, and made a priest forever. Now, there's so much that can be said in this whole passage, but I just have to be careful not to get sidetracked. But let me just throw this out to you Bible scholars, those of you who really study the Bible. Many of us think that the priesthood began with Aaron. But back in Genesis chapter 14, God had a priest. And when you read in Hebrews chapter 7, the Bible called him the priest of the Most High God. Not a priest, the priest. So the priesthood of Melchizedek predates Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. Let me just leave that by the way. So these two figures, Melchizedek and the king of Sodom, both of them met Abraham on his way back from the battle. You could not have two more contrasting personalities than that. Melchizedek is described as the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Oh, I wonder who that's talking about. <laughs> but we know clearly from scriptures what the king of Sodom represents. Perversity. Lust. Darkness. So here we have in this stage 
two persons meeting Abraham. One of them is the king of peace and king of righteousness. The other one represents darkness. Don't miss this. Intuitively, without any seminar, without any preaching, without any conference, without any Bible study, Abraham knew how to respond to Melchizedek who met him with bread and wine. Bread and wine are symbolic today of the emblems of the New Testament. Of the New Covenant. Immediately, intuitively, he gave this man a tithe of all. He didn't stop there. The Bible now said, now, after Abraham's encounter with Melchizedek, now the second king, king of Sodom, approaches him. Let's read what he says, because I don't want us to miss it. Genesis chapter 14, verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Wow. What is the focus of the king of Sodom? He doesn't want, he doesn't want the money. He manufactures money. He manufactures the wealth. He understands mammon. It's not after mammon. He said, give me the persons. The King James translation says, give me the souls. Give me the souls. Let me keep them in bondage, but I'll give you the goods. Is that not what Satan tells us today? You can get rich. You can have this and have that. The bright lights, the platform, the stage, the fame. You can have all that you want, but let me just take your soul. That was the offer that the king of Sodom was offering Abraham. Keep the material goods. Keep the wealth. Only give me the souls. But way back in Genesis, I'm amazed as I studied this. this. How was Abraham able to say no? How was he able to resist taking more goods? And relinquishing the souls. What prepared him adequately to understand that what this king of Sodom was offering was an enchantment? Because many of us, without discernment, get opportunities. Doors open, things happen. But if we lack discernment, we will think that every door that opens is of God. Not recognizing that the enemy may set you up to entrap you at the expense of getting you to be rich. I submit to you this morning, Abraham was able to resist and see through this trap because he first had an encounter with Melchizedek. Melchizedek set the precedent and helped him to stabilize himself and to understand that God was sufficient. Therefore, Abraham was able to tell the king of Sodom very confidently, I do not want to take a shoe latchet from you. I do not want a situation or a time to come where you'll be enabled, empowered to ever even mention out of your mouth that you made Abraham rich. In other words, I am determined to pay the price to win by righteousness. 
I will not accept the offer of unrighteousness to reach enrich me. I will rather stay with God and go through the process and allow God, who is the possessor of heaven and earth, to be the one that blesses and causes me to become rich. Amen? Amen. Abraham gave this Melchizedek, the Bible says, a tithe of all. Tithe meaning the first ten. And that's where this message is coming from this morning. Giving or tithing that unbinds. He's giving to Melchizedek. Allowed him the freedom to be unbound from the seduction of the king of Sodom. Now, very quickly, let me give us four reasons God wants me and you to give. Four reasons. Four reasons for which God wants us to give. Number one, liberation. Liberation. When we give, let me just, let me just set up the context there. God does not want me and you to give because he needs us to prosper. He already owns the cattle on the thousand hills. All silver and all gold, they already belong to him. God is already a prosperous, rich God. Please understand that. When you and I became born again, your spirit was born again instantly. But your soul and your body have to catch up with that experience. So God put some things in place to help me and you to overcome the selfish nature that is in us. That's the first reason we give liberation. Liberation from what? No, have been delivered from the powers of darkness. When I got born again, God delivered me, translated me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. However, that selfishness still remains in me. Like a child, if you watch children playing, what usually causes trouble? This is my toy. Give me mine. This is mine. Children are very possessive. They want to say, this is mine. This is not yours. And they start crying. Well, as Christians, one again, people, excuse me, we are still very possessive of the material things we have. And so God says, I'm going to institute giving because through giving, I begin to deliver you from the power of self. Yes. I begin to liberate you from selfish tendencies and self-centeredness so that you can become more like me. As we give, we receive the nature. We receive or we begin to grow in the likeness of who God is. Because God, as a God, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. He gave. So the first thing given does, it liberates us. It liberates us. Because everything around me and you is saying, take, take, take yourself, yourself. Take care of number one. Take care of number one. But when you give, you are doing something that is totally contrary to what is normal and natural. It's a discipline. So number one, giving liberates. Number two, it's an evaluation. What do I mean by that? If I was to look in your checkbook, if I was to look in your checkbook, by the mere looking in your checkbook, I can tell how spiritual you are. Not from your prayer book, because we all pray all kinds of prayers, but on the la- I mean, but, but when I look in your checkbook, I can see what's important to you. 
you doing with your money? It's an evaluation. Because what you're doing with your money, which represents your life, represents who you are. It's an evaluation. Wow, it's quiet in this house this morning. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. Praise God. Number one, it's, an, it's a liberation. It liberates you from self. Number two, it's an evaluation. It helps you know, where, where, where am I with God? What are the things that interest me? What am I doing to fund and to advance the kingdom of God? Amen? Amen. Number three. Number one is a liberation. Number two is an evaluation. Number three. It changes my destination. Giving changes my destination. Let me go to the scriptures on this one. It changes my destination. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. Chapter 3 rather. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 2. It says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay? Matthew 6.33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.21. In fact, I need to read that one. Matthew 6.21. Let's read that one together. Matthew 6.21. Giving that unbinds. Matthew 6.21. Look at what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, this guy was interviewed on Larry King show years ago, Donald Trump. And he said, out of his own mouth, he said, I'm not a happy man. And when Larry King pressed him further, he said, the only thing that gives him joy is buildings. Is buildings. That is, no, this is way he said it. I want to quote him correctly. That his buildings are his best friends. Trump One, Trump Plaza, Trump pl uh, Tower. Can you imagine that? His buildings are his best friends. That's what his affection is on. But the Bible is saying to me and you, where your treasures are, that's where your heart is going to be. So if I treasure cars, houses, material things, that is where my heart is going to be. Some of us are in church right now. You cannot pay attention because you are thinking about what you left in the house. Changing of destination. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. In other words, if you're a man or a woman who invests heavily in the kingdom of God, that's where your treasures are. Therefore, that's where your heart will be. It's a, it is a fact. Let me read one scripture in Luke chapter 16. Now, the truth of the matter is, whenever we live here, live the planet Earth, none of us can take any of our materials with us. I have never seen anyone who's been buried and have a hearse following them with Wells Fargo gold bars or Wells Fargo CDs and PNCs, uh, fixed deposits. No way. You cannot take it with you. But do you know what you can do? You can send it ahead of you. You cannot take the wealth with you. 
but you can send it ahead before you get there. That's what Jesus is talking about. That where your treasures are, there will be your hearts also. Now, in Luke chapter 16, in verse 9, it says, And I said to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Oh, my goodness. The HCSB translation says, when you die. He said, make for yourselves. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you die, okay, they may receive you into an everlasting home. The idea here is by sowing seed in the right places in the kingdom of God, those seeds go ahead of you to await you in eternity. Huge. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. Where are you investing this money? Where's your investment today? This is very, very quiet this morning. This is a pastoral me- message. You guys have been shouting about grace, about the love of God. Now I'm talking about giving that unbinds and it's so quiet I can drop a needle, I can hear it drop. That's good. We need this kind of messages every now and then. Because if you don't get this right, you will not be able to get other things right. First, we give it for liberation delivers us from ourselves. Number two, it's an evaluation. It evaluates where we are with God. Number three, we give because it changes our destination, where our hearts are, where our treasures are. That's where our heart is going to be. Lastly, is a qualification for ministry. Qualification. Now, when I use the word ministry, immediately you're thinking pastor, preacher. No, no, no. Giving is God's qualification to determine the next promotion for you. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Look at what it says. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And it goes on to say, verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So God is saying, my measuring rule, my qualifier for your next promotion, your next assignment, the next realm, the next dimension, whichever phrase you want to use, he wants to find out, are you faithful in unrighteous mammon? Are you handling money well? Because if you don't handle money well, if money is handling you, then you are not ready for the next assignment. So four reasons we give. These four reasons are intended to be a training place for me and you to understand how to develop and to mature in God. Every time I give, I deliver myself for myself. Okay, let, let, let me break that one down because that one really ministered to me when I, when I was doing this study. A friend of mine had a need last week. Let, let me just talk about Let me talk about, about me. And they were talking to me on the phone, but they did not ask me directly to meet that need. But I did not offer to meet it either. And when I hung up that phone, boy, 
my heart smote me. Because I consider myself to be very, very generous. And that is, that is true. I mean, that, that's, I just like to give, to give, to bless, to bless. That, that is a fact. But I was so content in my own evaluation of my own generosity that I just took it for granted the bank you are very generous. That you will always be there to meet this need or that need if you have the ability. But now this, my friend, is talking to me about something that I can meet. And I find it difficult to just offer and say, listen, I have to go and take it. I got on the phone. I said to my wife, I said, man. I said, man. I'm having a hard time. This guy just talked to me. He's asking, he's telling me about X, Y, Z. I'm in a position to meet that need. I didn't offer it. Did I not tell you that? I said, I am extremely concerned for myself. Because I'm thinking if I offer this thing to this guy, suppose he messes it up. Listen, this is, uh, hey, this is for real. So me and God, we're having this dialogue. This thing that this guy is asking for is huge. It costs a lot of money. And God is reminding me, did you work for the money? Was it you that provided it? Was it me when you had the need? Was I not the one that made the provision? So I said to my wife, I said, the next time I talk to this guy, I'm going to make the offer. I'm saying that to say to you. You see, I had something that was dear to me and I'm holding it dearly and I'm afraid that if I let it go, maybe the person will mess it up. God wants you to give so you can be set free. The moment I determined that I would give that thing, I got set free from the fear of the thing. And that's what God wants us to do on a week-by-week, day-by-day basis. As I was shocked because I just thought, hey, listen, you give, 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 you, you will always be giving until that one thing. Wow. I never thought in this area you asked me to give and I, 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 I will hold. But he revealed to me part of me that needed to be set free. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. Whatever it is that you can't so dear that you can't give to God is having you. God wants you to be free. He wants us to be free. I am freer now than I was last week. As a result of that conversation. And as a result of what God pointed inside of me. He said, Bang, you need to deal with this. Of which I can gloss it over and say, ah, well, praise God. Is it? No, I, the guy didn't ask me, but I knew I had it. I didn't offer it. I didn't. But I've settled that in my heart now. I will not miss that opportunity again. In fact, I'll be proactive. I'm going to call the guy and let him know I have it. He can have it. Amen. And I'll come back and tell you when I've done so. To hold me accountable before you. Amen. Because I believe in what I'm preaching. Amen. Amen. And maybe at that time I'll tell you what the thing is. And then you guys will have a big laugh. <laughs> it's the truth. But God wants us to give because through giving, we get set free. How many suits, clothes, dresses, shoes you have in your closets that you've not worn for the last three years? And God is saying, give, 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 give. Ah, no, 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 no. And there are people waiting to be blessed by what you don't even use. Giving is to liberate us. 
is to evaluate us. Is to change our destination so that we are heaven bound in our thinking. And of course, is to qualify, qualify us for more with God. Now, let me move on in this message. Giving that unbinds. Someone who will say to me, now we are on this grace message. Where is the position of tithing in all of this? We are saved by grace. We know that Jesus came to usher in the grace era. There's no question or no doubt about that. And we also know, for the most part, that tithing was spoken of so many times in the law. So the question is, is tithing for today? Now let me answer that question head on. Tithing is timeless. Whew. I didn't even get any, even my wife did not say an amen. <laughs> they are God in heaven. <laughs> this must be, when your wife don't say amen, it must be rough. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I said tithing is timeless. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I know it's timeless because we saw it in Genesis 14. Five hundred years before the law. So we saw it 500 years before the Lord in Genesis 14. We saw it all through the law. Then Jesus himself spoke about it in Matthew 23 verse 23 where he challenged those guys that they're doing all the, the tithe of this and that and that and that and he was telling them, listen, even this, referring to tithing, you should not omit and they should do the other things as well. So we saw it before the law. We saw it during the law. We saw Jesus talk about it. And of course, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, talks about giving proportionately, which is what tithing is all about. And in Hebrews chapter 7 made it clear that even under the law, Levi gave while he was in Abraham's loins. And I told you that the priesthood of Melchizedek is an everlasting one. If we saw him in Genesis, we see him during the Jesus era, we're going to see him forever. Because his priesthood is unchangeable. Amen? So tithing is timeless. Now, there's a significant difference though that you need to be aware of. Please go with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. There's a huge difference we need to be aware of. There's a big, big difference that we should be mindful of. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 8. With a man robbed God, yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Verse 9. For you are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, Big difference here. Big difference. Under the law, people gave tithe under the fear of judgment. Did you hear me? I need to repeat it. Under the law, people gave tithe under the fear or the threat of judgment. 
In the New Testament, as we just saw under grace with Abraham, he did not give tithe because he was under the fear of judgment. When did he give tithe to Melchizedek? After he had gotten the victory in defeating the kings in battle. He gave in appreciation for the victory he obtained. Ooh, man, I'm about to shout. You guys are not hearing me. Under the law, people gave out of fear that judgment did not come upon them. In Abraham, he gave out of appreciation that I have already been delivered. So the big difference in tithing in grace and under the law is in grace right now, we tithe as an act of appreciation. I am no longer under judgment. I am no longer afraid of a curse. I am giving because Jesus has already given me victory. He has already delivered me from the power of sin, hell, and death. And as a result and consequence of what he has done, with joy, I am giving out of appreciation for what he has already accomplished. That's the difference. Huge difference. So the thinking is totally different. We are not under a curse. God is no longer angry with us. We've settled that already. So when I give to God now, I'm saying, God, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You broke the curse over my life. You healed my body. You promoted me. You blessed me. You prospered me. You gave me eternal life. You gave me the gifts of your spirit. You gave me yourself as as the wisdom of God in my life. You give now out of a sense of appreciation. Totally different. Did you get that? It's important you get that. It's important you get that. It's important you know today that even now, I didn't didn't think I would ever say this in 32 years, but I have to say it because it's true. Even if you don't tithe, you are not under a curse. Because Jesus destroyed the curse once and for all. Now, pastor, are you saying I shouldn't do it? No, I'm not saying that. Because in a few minutes, I'm about to give you the blessings of doing it. The blessings remain. The blessings remain. The fact that God delivered me from sin does not mean I should be sinning. He may no longer be angry with me, but there are consequences for living in that particular lifestyle. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in Malachi chapter 3 now, let me go and tell you the blessings. In verse 10, 10b, this is the only place where God says we should, we should try him or test him. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Blessing number one, there's a reward of your faith for trusting God and giving. There's a reward of your faith for obeying God in your giving and your giving your tithe. Number two, 
Verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, that it, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Number two blessing is, God rebukes your foe or your enemy in your behalf. Now you're saying, if I don't give, does that mean, does that, mean that God not, do not rebuke them? Yeah, God, God has bound the enemy. There's no doubt about that. You have victory over the enemy already. Yes. But by giving and obeying God, it activates something in the realm of the spirit that brings favor in your life. Absolutely. Reward for your faith, rebuking of your foe, and number three, in verse 12, and all nations will call you blessed. For you be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 11, he talked about the devastation of the crops of the field. In verse 12, he said, all the nations will call you blessed. Why? Because they see your land being fruitful. So number three blessing here is, there will be a renewing of our fruit. A renewing of our fruit. Which again, again, don't miss this connection. Fruit speaks of what? The fruit of the spirit. Love. Love. The more I give, the more God is able to renew the fruit of my life. Love flowing out of me as a result of what I receive from God that's going back out of me. Amen? Amen. There's a reward of your faith in trusting God by giving. There's a rebuking of the foes in your life by trusting God and giving. And then there's a renewing of fruit in your life by trusting God and giving. Tithe is the first ten of everything you have. God said, honor me with it. Honor me with it. Amen? Amen. Now, for application, this is what I want to say. I'm, I'm done. For application, this is what I want to say. I wrote this down. Let me make sure I got it. There are five statements I want to make in application. Number one statement. There are those of us who do not give at all. This is the sixth month of the year. You've not been given. My charge to you today, start doing so occasionally. That's number one. You've not been given at all. You come to church, you sit, you receive, but you've not been honoring God at all. I'm saying to you today, number one charge, start doing so occasionally. Number two, there are those of us here today that we give occasionally. Maybe we've put God on our list once a month. Occasionally, we give. For those of you who give occasionally, let today be the time you change to start giving consistently. Consistently. You move from occasionally to what? Consistently. Now, there are those of us here today, who already give consistently, I want to challenge you today to go from giving consistently to giving proportionally. Proportionate giving. In other words, as the Lord our God has, as, as the Lord our God has prospered you, so give. So give. In other words, you see, give according to the measure of God's blessings on your life. You are given consistently, but now God wants to challenge you to give proportionally. Number four charge. 
There are those of us here that's already given proportionally. God wants to challenge you today to start giving lavishly. Lavishly. Lavish giving. Over the top and above giving. Acknowledging that God has prospered and blessed you and acknowledging that the God that gave it before will do it again. And in that spirit, you give lavishly. Last but not the least, those of you who are already giving lavishly, God wants you to start giving generationally. Generationally. Say, Pastor, what does that mean? In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, there was a widow who Jesus said cast a mite into the treasury. Over 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about her. Jesus was so impressed by what she gave. And I'm sure she was not the one that gave. And yet, he talked about her then, and you and I are reading about it for generations to come. In other words, let your giving be so generational that it impacts generations. Amen. Amen. Can we do those five things? Yes. Hey! Can anybody repeat any of the five things I just said? Number one, give occasionally. Number two, consistently. Three, proportionally. Number four, and number five, amen. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be a part of your kingdom. And we want to acknowledge your wisdom to us in teaching us to give a fraction of what we have back to you. So that in our giving we can be delivered from the power of self, selfishness and self-centeredness and that as we decrease, you may increase in our life. That is our joy. That is our delight. That's what we want to see happen. We want to be like you. You are a giver. A generous one at that. And so Father God, I thank you for every man, every woman. Under the sound of my voice. God, that you so deal with our hearts. That we become faithful with regards to unrighteous mammon. And that in our faithfulness, you can commit to us the true riches of of your kingdom. So God, I receive in behalf of your people today the true riches of the kingdom of God. Promotions. Elevations. Progress as a result of their faithfulness to you. And so Lord, we receive it. We thank you for it. We bless your name, Father. Because you are a great God in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God.